translated to the end of this chapter, as we will see. We'll be reading the first part of number six and the last part, which is where our focus is on the blessing spoken by Aaron upon the people of Israel. The first part is about the Nazarite vow, and there are many details there about when the vow period is over and uh, how the Nazarite is to be received back as a regular member of the congregation of Israel. But uh, the, the Nazarite was a special person set apart to mark uh, the holiness. It was a sort of a sign to all of Israel that they were all to be the holy people of God. But we'll be uh, praying before we read, so let us pray. I'm using a prayer for this that I, uh, a part of a prayer from the Valley of Vision that I believe uh, enables us to see what we need to ask for when the word is being read. Let us pray. Lord our God, as we have entered your house of prayer, pour upon us the spirit of grace and supplication. As we have come to the house of praise, awaken in us every grateful and cheerful emotion. As we stand in the house of instruction, give testimony to the word preached and glorify it in the hearts of all who hear. May it enlighten the ignorant, awaken the careless, reclaim the wandering, establish the weak, comfort the feeble-minded, and make ready a people for their Lord. For we ask this in the name of our Sovereign, our King Jesus. Amen. Reading Numbers chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, Whether a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of the grape or eat grape, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the sheaves or the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, or brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And we go down to verse 22, which is the beginning of the text for today. Verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God for his infallible and inerrant word. You've probably all experienced something of what I have, that somebody sneezes, and then somebody next to them says, God bless you. Or otherwise they say, Gesundheit, which is the, the German for that. But I wonder whether any of you have ever uh, found that somebody got upset with you because they sneezed and you didn't say, God bless you. I had never run into that until we met some people in another part of the country who were used to that. And if you didn't say, God bless you, um, you were kind of offended. Well, this custom, of course, can be traced to a superstition. If you're sneezing, then momentarily you're not under the protection of the Almighty God. And maybe evil spirits will get advantage of you. And, of course, given our times and the prevalence of evil all around us, I suppose we're really ready for a giant gesundheit with somebody who sneezed. Well, I don't believe in a superstitious gesundheit, but I do take seriously the blessing of God. God and his people take the blessing with great seriousness when it is pronounced with confidence that God is actually blessing us as we do when we receive the blessing in public worship. Here we have to think of the biblical idea that when you go to worship God, you bring to him your praises and prayers, your confessions of sin, and you bring him your ear. And the ear is offered to God as you expect him to speak and you listen carefully to the word that is read and the word that is expounded. And right at the heart of the expectation of God to speak to us is uh, the expectation that you would not want to leave without the spoken blessing of God. The blessing at the end of the service is a very, very important part of public worship. So there, this is because there's no way we can even think of living without God's ever-present blessing and protection. Now, the Old Testament church lived in the wilderness for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness. As Israel traveled through the desert from Egypt to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And in a way, we're wandering in a wilderness too. We're not exactly going to an earthly Canaan, but we are traveling. Life is a journey. And we are traveling to a great city, the heavenly city, the, the promised land that we know is heaven from Scripture. So in Numbers, the traveling theme dominates. It hovers over and runs through the entire book of Numbers. And uh, it is a theme that the church also on its journey needs to understand. The theme of God's blessing rests on Israel and rests on the people of God today. 
And that blessing cannot be stopped. There were attempts to stop, to interfere with, to, <coughs> to block the blessing of God. But it never worked. God's blessing was always resting upon His people, even when they sinned against Him terribly. Yet His blessing was there. So consider this morning the blessing of being under God's protecting wing. And we're going to look at four things. Why you need it, what it means, what God's purpose is, and how you should respond. So there, why, this, uh, when we think of this blessing, which is being under God's protecting wing, why do you need the blessing? What exactly does receiving the blessing mean? What is God's purpose in giving it to us? And how should we respond when we receive the blessing of God? Why do you need it? You and I live in a world of curse. There's a Christmas hymn we're all familiar with. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We love singing that song. But there's one verse, I think it's not in our blue Psalter hymnal, though it is in the red Trinity Psalter hymnal. Uh, I, I haven't checked that for sure, but I think it is. Uh, there's a verse in there that um, often is skipped in the church. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then you sing that over and over, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. What are we cursing? What are we singing that for when we're rejoicing in the birth of Jesus the Savior? Well, the curse exposes you to dangers and condemnation and evil. That's exactly what Balaam, the son of Beor, tried to throw on the Israelites. And King Balak of Moab wanted him to come and do it. He hired him and promised him lots of money. And Balaam was a wicked false prophet. And he wanted the money. So he went there and built an altar and pretended God was speaking to him and laid a, tried to lay a curse on the Israelites. But we all know that every time he opened his mouth, a blessing fell out. Numbers 22, 23, and 24 give you that whole story of Balaam who tried to curse and ended up blessing Israel. Now the curse is evident every time you hear of an airplane crash or an earthquake, a storm, a sentence from an earthly judge, maybe when there's a stab of conscience in your own heart, or when there is a desire in your heart to kill or destroy or to disregard God's commandments. And of course, the curse is found whenever a Christian is martyred for the sake of the gospel. So the curse, we live in a world of curse. We also live in a setting of Old and New Testament blessings. In the Old Testament, as I mentioned, the people of Israel were uh, made into a covenant People. And in the supreme act of worship in the Old Testament days, they march from Egypt through the desert into the land of Canaan. It was a major pilgrimage as two million people on foot with their cattle and all their children and all their grandmas and grandpas made their way from Egypt to the land of Canaan. And as Israel sets out on her march, 
she receives God's blessing through Aaron, the priest. And those are the familiar words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Now that blessing really isn't a prayer. So when you receive it, you don't have to close your eyes. You may. You don't have to. It's not a prayer. Neither is it just a wish that things will go well with a person or that they might get some help of some kind. In the ancient Near East, words were not considered to be mere sounds. We kind of think of words as mere sounds today. But they were word things that came from the heart, from the workshop of where man's actions are born. Blessing, therefore, a spoken blessing, involved a formal series of words that introduced into a person's life center something that will either hinder or promote the unfolding and flourishing of life. If they're curse words, they're supposed to hinder the flourishing of life. If they're blessing words, they would cause it to flourish and unfold. That was the Old Testament era. In the New Testament, the meaning has not really changed of blessing and cursing. In fact, it's been enriched by a greater knowledge of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's still more than a mere wish. And it's not really a prayer. It is a pronouncement of the blessing of God. You don't, as I mentioned, you don't close your eyes because you receive this pronouncement of blessing. And the wording is clear in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's the New Testament version of the blessing. But we use both in the church today. It is a pronouncement, therefore, of reality and truth. And saying it makes it so. If God blesses His people, that makes it so. It happens because of what He does. Now, our use of the blessing in our minds has often changed. Quite often, the blessing is devalued. It's considered a wish or a prayer. A maybe. It isn't viewed as conveying real and effective blessing. I can prove it. When you miss church because of some uh, illness, or maybe a good excuse, what is it that you miss about church? Some would say the singing. Some would say especially the sermon. I miss that. Or maybe the fellowship. Or maybe the routines that you go through. Or the rest of the music. And you miss all that when you miss church, of course. How many of you would say, what I really miss about church when I'm not there is the benediction, the blessing. I miss that benediction. How many of you would say that? And maybe some would. I hope you would. But we don't think of it that way, do we? Oh, well, it's kind of like the quotation marks at the end, right? Or uh, the end. We just The minister raised his hands at the beginning, raised his hands at the end, now we can go home. 
I want you to miss the blessing if you miss it. I want you to have the blessing, actually. So what does it mean for you? That's the second thing tonight. What does it mean today when the minister of the Word raises his hands and says, the Lord bless you and keep you? Well, God's blessing, especially here in Numbers chapter 6, is a special formula for placing God's name upon His people. And it happens every Sunday. He places His name on His people. So you can never be identified by anything but God. His name is on you. Your primary identity is that you belong to God. And the blessing is a way of sealing that. Now let's think about this formula and I'm here I'm, I'm depending on uh, a theologian named Gordon Wenham who has explained this so beautifully and I'm going to pass it on to you and I, I think it's very helpful for us. Who gave the blessing? It was Aaron and the priests. And this blessing has three parts. If you look at the text, each of the three parts has two halves. And they make kind of an up and down rhythmic movement like an ocean wave. The wave comes up and the wave goes down. Notice it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Notice the structure. Each part, each line increases the flow. In Hebrew, the first part, the first line has three words. The Lord bless you and keep you. Only three words in Hebrew. The second line has five words. The third line has seven words. Notice three to five to seven. It gets longer every time. Even the number of letters in the Hebrew were, were, were counted by Gordon Wenham. The first line has 15 letters in it. The second line has 20. And the third has 25. The total blessing, that, 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 not letters, yeah, letters. The total, the total blessing has 15 words in the original language. So these letters, 15 to 20 to 25, but then there are 15 words altogether. And if you don't count the name Jehovah or the Lord, which is repeated three times, the Lord bless you, the Lord make His face shine upon you, the Lord turn His face toward you. If you don't count that, there are 12 left. How many tribes of Israel were there? 12. And it's obvious then that great care was taken under the direction of the Holy Spirit to compose the exact wording of this blessing as it was daily pronounced upon Israel. Every day, this blessing was pronounced upon them. I think this is really a fascinating way of understanding how carefully God wanted His people to know they were blessed. So the receiver of the blessing is Israel. Israel is viewed as one individual, one spiritual unit receiving the favor of God. So when you heard the blessing during the wilderness march for those 40 years 
pronounced in these very singular and distinct words, then you couldn't help being conscious of your part in a great unity of faithful believers, the people of God. And what was the effect of pronouncing these words? Look at verse 27. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. The pronouncing of the blessing was a placing of the name of God upon His people. Notice God's name is mentioned three times, and it's His covenant name, Yahweh, or Jehovah. And this repetition, which we call the Lord in our modern translation, the Lord's name is put on it. And this repetition prepares the way for the New Testament form of the benediction, which we find in the epistle, where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are explicitly mentioned as in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. So what does this do? It has the effect of making the people of God into a special body. The covenant bond between God's people and Him is strengthened. The Lord and His people are tied together through this great blessing. And it serves notice, therefore, to all the powers in the world that these people traveling through the wilderness are under God's special care and protection. So do Balak and Balaam want to curse Israel? It will never succeed. You can't do it. They already are literally blessed as Aaron raises his hands and pronounces the blessing of God upon his people. You cannot curse successfully the people of God. Balaam, go home. And that blessing is still given to the church. You cannot curse the true church of Jesus Christ or His people. It will never work. A curse pronounced will never land on the people of God. That in itself is a great blessing and a comfort. But what's God's purpose then? Why is He giving us this blessing? Number one, He's giving us His protection. The Lord bless you and keep you. This blessing refers to the fact that God will be the covenant Lord of His people. They need, therefore, to live as His people. Any people in the ancient Near East expected protection and care from their God and Lord and their King. The Lord bless you. And keep you emphasizes His protection. And this protection isn't simply a protection from evil, but it includes anything that would oppose receiving the fullness of life as God wanted to give it to His people. Poor harvest, poverty, disease, war. This especially the Father will do for His people when you don't know the future. You are secure in the hands of your Father. And even when He permits for His purposes and wisdom, His wisdom which we don't always understand, with, uh, permits illness to fall upon us or even sadness, He's still taking care of you. The Lord bless you and keep you. And we need God's protection in this warring and confused world. It's dangerous. And the tests of our faith are severe. The trouble is that we often try to find our blessing and our protection in the wrong places. 
Maybe we trust in our possessions or we try to find protection in our family relationships or in our social networks. But we need God's protection from finding false blessings too and from finding satisfaction in something that's passing away. Our satisfaction is found only in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Lord who blesses you and keeps you. So his, He wants to protect you. That's why He blesses you. His other, another purpose is to give us His grace. It says, make His face shine upon you. The opposite of hiding the face or being hostile or refusing to look at someone is to have your face shine upon that person. That indicates pleasure. It's the opposite of anger. You realize that when you meet somebody and they won't look at you. They look away. Maybe they're angry. But no, make his face shine upon you. That's what the blessing is. When God is gracious, his people see and experience his shining or radiant face. Ian Duguid is an Old Testament professor at Westminster in Philadelphia. And he suggests that something like saying with Eric Little, the great Olympic runner from 1924, who was a Christian minister and became a missionary, Eric Liddell said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's what we have. When he makes his face, when he's be gracious to us, when he makes his face shine upon us, then we feel his pleasure. To be gracious, of course, implies that a person is guilty. We are all guilty. But God offers love and mercy and forgiveness to guilty sinners who turn to Him. And when they meet Him, His face shines upon them. And He has done this, hasn't He? Especially in sending His Son into the world. Especially Jesus Christ, the Son of God, provides grace for us. Hasn't your own conscience, sharpened by countless sermons and Bible readings, bothered you enough to know that you need the grace of God every day? Hasn't the lostness and the gracelessness of this world appeared more obvious by contrast when you know that He makes His face shine upon you? And then God intends to give you peace. To lift up His countenance or to turn His face toward you means to give you His love and to give you His love richly. Go over to Psalm 33, verse 18. Psalm 33, verse 18. Talk about lifting of His countenance, turning His face toward you. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. And then go to Psalm 34, verse 17. Psalm 34, just over the page, verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. How beautiful to know that this is what happens when the Lord turns His face toward you and delivers you. And the result of turning his face towards you then is to give you peace. And we need to understand accurately what peace is. 
For us, peace is often just the absence of war or the absence of trouble, which is a blessing indeed. But there's a lot more to it. Peace involves harmony, happiness, the free development of life, unhindered strength. Peace includes whatever you need for well-being and prosperity. We speak of shalom. And the opposite of peace isn't war, but evil. We should understand this correctly. The opposite of peace is evil. Peace is what makes life truly life. Evil destroys it. We can find an example in Genesis 29, verse 6. Jacob is asking about Laban, his uncle, when he meets his daughter Rachel. And his question is, is he at peace, literally, or is he well? In 2 Kings 4, verse 26, Elisha sends his servant Gehazi to the Shunammite woman. Remember the Shunammite woman? Her son had died. Elisha had blessed her, and the Lord gave her a son. And then uh, that, that child died in sunstroke. And uh, the woman comes to Elisha and says, well, what have you been doing? You took my son away. You gave me a son, and then did I even ask for him? And now, he, now he's died. And Elisha sends his servant Gehazi to the Shunammite woman. And he asks, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? But literally, the words that he uses are, is it peace to him? Is it peace to him? Is it peace to your child? Is it peace to you? Is it peace to your husband? Is it peace to your child? Peace is being all right. That's the point. So the Lord give you peace. The Lord make you all right in many ways. And how can anybody have peace unless God the Holy Spirit cleanses him from all evil. And isn't this the peace that you and I need right now? So how should you respond to this blessing? That's the last thing we need to look at today. Well, number one is you should need to place a very high value on the blessing God gives. If a blessing is more than a nice wish or more than a hallmark greeting from God, if, if it really conveys His name, His protection, His grace, His peace, that's really what a child believes in baptism, receives in baptism, isn't it? Which you will see next week. This is what we receive, and not even Balaam's attempts to curse the people of God can interfere with it. So if the devil is against these children that are baptized, Lord, peace and grace and face are upon them. So do you believe this? Do you really believe that's true? That God lays His blessing on you. If you do, then when you come to church to worship, you will not figure that, oh, I just came for the sermon and it was kind of a nice touch that the minister also finished it all off with a nice little blessing. Actually, the blessing is the heart and the goal of the entire worship service. That's what Jacob wrestled for all night. With the angel. The blessing. He wrestled for the blessing. And in a way, we come to church to wrestle for the blessing that God wants to give us. So think about this when you consider attendance at Sunday worship. We can think of all sorts of reasons to argue that, well, it's really not all that important. How many sermons can you actually absorb? Are the sermons that earth-shaking? And does God really care if I skip? 
But of course, that's the legalist operating in our minds. Even if the sermon was extremely poor, which all of us preachers have to admit, sometimes they're not all that great. Even if the sermon was poor, you'd miss out on the Lord's Day with God's spoken blessing if you miss church. Because this is a blessing that is actually laid upon the people of God when the blessing is pronounced. So if you got nothing else out of the sermon, the singing was horrible, the sermon was bad, the offering you didn't really care for, you still get the blessing. Think of it that way. And confess your personal need of it. Recognize your constant danger apart from it. Either from a lack of supplies, or from illness, or foolishness, or from those who can't stand God or His people. There's danger always from Satan who hates God and who hates you because he hates God. And recognize then your need of continual grace. God's shining face because your guilt is real. Your faith is weak. And you need constantly to be supplied with strength because your hope burns low and your love gets cold. Recognize also your continual need of God's peace. Peace with God. Well-being. Wholeness. Completeness of life. You need God's peace in order to enjoy all the blessings of God's kingdom. And then, so place a high value on the blessing, confess your need of it, and then receive it through Jesus Christ. The only way we can receive the blessing of God is through Jesus Christ. You know why? Because He took the curse for us. He placed Himself under the curse that had fallen on the entire human race and on the entire creation. If Balaam wanted to curse Israel and couldn't. It was because Jesus had gotten in between and taken the curse on Himself. So no way would that curse land on the people of God. So, trust in His Word. Trust in His death for you. Trust in His purpose for entering our world and enduring the curse for you. Trust Him to keep in contact with you. You know that first part of number 6? Is about the Nazarite. You might wonder why I read it. But the Nazarite was one who was fully consecrated to the Lord. And the signs were his long hair, he wouldn't touch a dead body, and so on. That's what Israel was supposed to be as a whole. But of course she wasn't. But it is what Christ was like. Israel was more like the adulterous woman mentioned in chapter 5. And there's a whole ceremony there which is rather interesting to read about uh, how you can find out if she actually committed adultery or not. And we're not faithful. Israel wasn't faithful. Israel was like that kind of a woman. But Christ is completely faithful. That's the, the wonderful thing. Christ is completely faithful. And He's the one who unites us with the triune God continually. So we should seek to obtain the blessing of Christ as intensely as Jacob did when he wrestled the angel and refused to let go until you bless me, as we read in Genesis 32. So people of God, you must be identified with God's people if you would experience this blessing. Don't give up on the benediction. A worship service isn't complete without a benediction or the giving of the blessing. You get cheated and you should sue the preacher if he doesn't bless you at the end of the service. You should. You, you, it, because God intends that. I'm quite sure you wouldn't have to sue Reverend Vermeer. 
Israel would never have made it through the wilderness without God's blessing. And you won't make it across the Jordan either or through your whole life without the blessing of Almighty God. And as you travel through life, be encouraged by the Psalms of Ascent. We sang one of them with joy and gladness in my soul. Psalms 120 to Psalm 134. It's nothing but an extended meditation on the benediction. If you read it that way, you'll just see it. The benediction is all over Psalms 120 through Psalms 134. Meditate on that. Let me end with a story you may well be familiar with from Pilgrim's Progress. I love this story and I tell it every now and then. Christian, when he gets through the gate of salvation, is taken to a place called the House of the Interpreter. And there he sees some very interesting things. And one of them is that there is a fire along a stone wall. And that fire keeps burning and burning, even though there's somebody at the top of that wall pouring water on it. Now what happens when you pour water on a fire? The fire goes out. And he's wondering about this. This guy is pouring water, water, water on top of that fire, yet the fire keeps burning brightly. What's going on? Then he walks to the other side of the wall and he sees that there is somebody there pouring oil on the fire. You can't see it from one side, but from the other side, there's oil being poured on the fire. The whole point is that the fire of God's grace in us is constantly being opposed by Satan. He wants to pour water on God's grace and squash it out. Smother it. But the Holy Spirit is continuously supplying fuel to believers so they will persevere in grace under God's protection and in His peace. So dear people of God, as you continue your wilderness journey, be encouraged by the truth that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is constantly pouring His blessings upon you, the blessings of grace and protection and peace. Move on in that journey then, sure of His presence and His guidance. Let us pray. We thank You, O Lord, for this assurance that You will never leave or forsake Your people. You will dwell among us for you even place your name upon us. Lord, help us love that name. Help us rejoice that the name of the Lord is to place upon us your covenant people. Help us be encouraged by this. Be confident that no matter what happens to us, when things seem ill, that nevertheless, your grace, your blessing, your peace, your favor is upon us. Help us trust in Jesus through whom we receive these favors. We ask it in His name. Amen.